This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This program is sponsored by New Zealand Bridge, sponsors of Grassroots Bridge across the nation. Welcome to The Bridge Zone. You're at the table with Barry and Mariana. We are talking with Kate Terry this week. She's giving us the goss on the big congress that's happening over in Tauranga anniversary weekend. It's pleased to see, like you said, Barry, it is jammed, packed full. Got to be great, I think. I don't know. Has COVID been good for Bridge, do you think? Particularly in New Zealand. Well, perhaps only in New Zealand. uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. so the people here that can play face-to-face Bridge are just loving it. They are. We're catching up with Kerman at the Pond, and Judge Julie has gone down south, so bailiff's with us this week, and we talk about those self-alerting bids. There's a whole lot in that area, isn't there? Yep, that doesn't mean you've got to alert them yourself. (laughs) So what else is happening, Barry? Most clubs are getting back into full action. Summer Bridge is just about over and new events starting. Are you playing on Wednesday? I think I might turn up on Wednesday. We're going to have a a Rainbow Pairs on Wednesday. Did you see that? Yes, I did. For our listeners who don't know what the Rainbow Pairs is, it's an individual where you get to play a couple of boards, I think, with every partner. Or is it just one? I don't know. But you get to play with a whole range of partners and... My advice is keep the system as simple as you can because you've only got two boards of it. <laughs> the 30-second chat. I had a friend of mine who played in the what they used to have at Congress. If you didn't qualify for the peers, they had an individual event. Mm. And he sat down with this person. He said he wanted to play Benjaminized Eckle with rangefinders. Right. And my friend had no idea what, what they were. <laughs> but he thought, what the heck? It's only two boards. <laughs> I'll cope. So he agreed to play Benjaminized Eckle with rangefinders, and they had two boards where nobody opened anything at the two level, which I think is where, yep. where they come in, and everything was fine, and he moved on. Unbelievably, he managed to make the final of the individual, and at one point he, this guy sat across the table, and it was his, his old friend from the qualifying. He looked up at him and looked in delight, said, Ah, Benjaminized Eckle with rangefinders again. <laughs> I don't know whether it went so well that time <laughs> because he had no idea what he was talking about. He just agreed. <laughs> so maybe that's a good tactic in the individual. Just agree with whatever your partner says and hope that it doesn't come up. Funny. You are ready to go over to Tauranga? Where are you staying? We're staying at the Martelletti right. Terry household. So that'll be good. Cool. And you are going to place a bet like you're normal? We do talk about that with Kate in the... Well, good luck. If you win, you sing, or if you lose, Kate still sings. Kate always does the singing. <laughs> I'm not the singer. It's definitely Kate that does the singing. And there's usually a huge um, bet, which usually involves something like $2. $2. That seems to be about your limit. It is. I don't go any higher than $2. I'll tell you what. My partner Barb's been playing a few tournaments. I've noticed that. She was up at Walkworth on the weekend, was she? <laughs> that she yeah. was. And she was down at Thames and she's yeah. over at she's over at Tauranga. I don't yeah. know. Is her husband about to become a bridge widower? 
think so. She made the comment. She said, you know what? I played every weekend. <laughs> she says, I don't normally stay away this often, but it looks like I've been staying away a lot because we're actually thinking of going up to the Franklin Swiss Pairs and we're also thinking of going up to the Ottawa Restricted. So I said, I'm coming. Why don't you find a partner and let's go? So we're trying to do a little bit of a hikoi up there. So that's interesting. So Mariana's friend, Barbara Dowie, she's, she's on 301 eight points. So she's on the road to Grandmaster. Yeah, on a mission. But she won't be getting any at the Franklin 8B, that's for no. sure. No. So I'm just tossing up myself, actually, whether I'm going to go up for the Waitangi Day in Auckland on the Saturday and then go up to Franklin on Monday for the Swiss Pairs. I have no idea. If Mr Cullen is working on the Saturday, I'll be patrolling. You'll see my car racing out the driveway. Tail light Cullen. That's right. And, of course, I suppose you can always throw a few hours in the direction of Mr Cullen on Sunday when you're still available. True. Yeah, we normally do lunch or something. It's so good. Let's go off and hear Bailiff. Hey, where's Judge Julie? Judge Julie is in session at the moment. Here's Patrick. Good morning, Bailiff. We've got a couple of questions for you. Last week, Julie promised us to talk about self-alerting bids, and apparently you've drawn the short straw. Oh, well, it's not a particularly short straw because it's a pretty easy topic. First of all, you don't alert any double or redouble. Those are regarded as what's called self-alerting. And you don't alert any cubid, and a cubid is a bid of a suit that the opponents have bid or a suit that the opponents have shown. A good example would be if the opponents open one no trump and the partner of the one no trump opener bid two diamonds as a transfer. If you played, as some people do, a two-heart overcall over that, bidding the suit they've shown, using it as a takeout bid or perhaps as a Michael's bid, because they have shown hard, it's not alerted because they've shown the suit. And also, same thing, if uh, you were playing something unusual as a, a three-diamond bid over their two-diamond transfer, you wouldn't alert that either because they have bid diamonds. So when they've bid two-diamonds transfer, you don't alert any heart bids, you don't alert any diamond bids. It's a little bit of a trap situation, really. Uh, I'm not particularly in favour of it, but that's the rule. I've certainly seen quite good players come unstuck because they didn't think to ask. One that springs to mind is I was playing against an international pair in the, uh, in the knockout stages of the New Zealand teams, and we doubled their one no trump. Don't alert doubles, of course. Our double shows hearts, and the opponents ran from that to two hearts, which got doubled because they didn't think to ask about what our double meant. For a bear that's played for New Zealand can make that mistake. Just imagine what your average club player can do. It's interesting the one where you mentioned that they've bid the two diamond transfer, so even though that obviously doesn't show diamonds, a bit of that suit is not alertable even if it's something weird. Yes, I know. Well, the same thing really applies over a precision club. Precision one club doesn't show clubs, but a lot of people play sort of suction and traction defences, and one of those would be a two club bid, like showing diamonds or both majors as it is in suction. Well, because they bid the same suit as us, you wouldn't let that two club bid over one club, even though one club doesn't show clubs. Gets a bit complicated, doesn't it? Does. it? Well, it isn't complicated, but it's, it's actually something you've got to think of. Mm. It's not complicated when you think about it, but you're sort of doing all sorts of other things, wondering how to bid your hand. And the fact that you wouldn't have to alert that bid just sort of passes you by. It would be easy for the opponents not to think, oh gosh, they wouldn't alert that bid regardless so I better just check what it means. People just don't think to do that. Just like in my example when 
we doubled there, won no Trump. I understand the rule. It's just, in practice, it's not always the best thing. I'm not so sure it's a great rule, but it is the rule. As you know, Patrick, I'm never in favour of too much thinking at the bridge table in general anyway. Do you do any thinking at the bridge table? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he thinks about when he's playing with me, he thinks about what I'm doing all the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't happen very often, luckily. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be doing far too much thinking. Okay, Patrick, so uh, can you give us a few more examples? The definition of a self-alerting bid is what? That's something that... Uh... It, well, it's doubles, yep. and it's redoubles. And as well as Q-bids, both the suits they've shown and the suits that they've bid, bids higher than three no trumps aren't alerted. If uh, your partner opens one spade and you play a four-diamond splinter then you don't alert those. That's effectively a self-alert. Any call higher than three no trumps. With one exception, if you play an artificial opening bid of more than three no trumps, it would require an alert. Something like if you play four clubs as a really good four heart opener. There's a similar bid called South African Texas, which uh, is, is along the same lines. Or in fact, I play something I call Kiwi Fours, where if we open four clubs, it'll be six-plus clubs, but it also promises a five-card major on the side. So even though it shows clubs, it also shows something else that makes it artificial, and we alert it. You don't alert over three no trumps except an unusual opening bid. So that bid of yours with the 6-5, which is also sort of in a competitive situation they call leaping Michaels, if that was leaping to the four level, that would not be alerted? No, because it wouldn't be an opening bid. Yes, uh, Leaping Michaels normally say, like, if the opponent's opened a natural two spades, a really good use of four clubs and four diamonds, because you wouldn't use them for other things, a really good use is to show a good 5-5 hand with five of that suit and five of the other major. But because it's not an opening bid, it's an overcall, it isn't covered by that self-alerting, you-don't-alert-it type thing. Okay, those are the main things that we don't have to alert or shouldn't alert. I'm a big believer in over-alerting rather than under-alerting. I think if you're doubtful about whether something should be alerted, then you should alert. I mean, it it actually can't be disrespectful to the opponents to alert something when maybe you didn't need to. But if you don't alert something, and then they say, oh, well, if we'd known that, we might have done something else. Why couldn't you be bothered to alert? It feels really bad the other way around. For instance, let's say you play six-card week twos, but because you're not playing a five-card week two as well, one member of your partnership has a habit of opening five-card week twos in the six-card bid sort of quite often. If I played with someone who did that, I would start alerting their week twos and say, well, yes, it shows a six-card suit, but my partner... Um, is very aggressive and at least a quarter or a third of the time it turns out to be only a five card suit it's because the opponents are entitled to as much information as I get when it's something that can be alerted now unfortunately I can't alert things like a double of one no trump because the rules say that that's covered in pre-alerts and at pairs nobody looks at your pre-alerts teams they might look at it at the start of the match but not always that's supposed to be in pre-alert and the rules say don't alert it if my partner plays a particularly unusual way of playing a, a two, two hard opener, I shouldn't be looking for ways to hide behind the rules and say, oh, I don't have to alert it, so I'm not going to. <laughs> you should be there to help your opponents and alert things that where the opponents might want to know. If you wind up defending the hand, 
and your opponent misplays the hand because they're sure your partner has six, and it turns out he has only five, well, who's wrong here? Your opponent for not quizzing you sufficiently about your methods or you for not being a good, helpful player and letting the opponents know your methods? Hey, just a question. When you're playing with bidding boxes and yep. you're alerting, how long does that alert card need to stay out? Well, uh, the rules talk, talk about 8 to 10 seconds. But a good practice is that while that alert card is there, the next person should ask about the bid while that alert card's there. Look, it's up to you, really, is to sort of try and make sure the opponent's see it. There's nothing there that says it actually has to stay there for a particular length of time for an alert. If you just take it out of the box and then put it back and your opponents don't notice, well, I actually think that there's some uh, problem on your side as well as the opponent's. I would be looking at my opponent to, to see that they've noticed. You can put it on your partner's bid and leave it there, then pick it up when the bidding comes round. If your opponent doesn't notice then I'd be asking, why didn't they notice as a director? How did you use the, the alert card? You know, if you haven't done something to actually make it clear, I might be ruling that, well, you didn't really alert it because the opponents didn't notice your action was too subtle. The opponent shouldn't be watching your every move to make sure they don't miss your alert, put it that way. Mm. I must admit, I usually leave the thing out and then forget it's still there to the end of the auction. It's not a problem. As yeah. I said, sort of... If something's alerted and it's left there too long, I mean, what problem does it cause? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. But I mean, if you said, okay, well, I'll put it out, and when this person's bid, I'll take it away. But of course, it still relates to the person on your right as well, doesn't it? Yeah, Yeah, so that's why actually putting it there and taking your hand away and leaving it, if you take it out of your box and quickly reach across the table, and and what if your right-hand opponent, whose turn it isn't to to bid, what if they were distracted by someone on the other side of the room or something? They thought they heard the name called or something and they looked away and they didn't notice you do it. Where are you then? But look, it isn't usually a problem. I don't get too many cases of I didn't see the alert. Certainly as the director, obviously, you're not in the habit of penalising people for over-alerting. That's good to know. Well, I I don't think I've ever (laughs) penalised someone for over-alerting. I have some people who try to be so ethical that they they want to find ways around alerting (laughs) bids which are supposedly self-alerting. Julie and I sort of have a one method there. As I said, our double shows hearts uh, of one no trumps. If it goes one no trump, double, pass, and partner bids two hearts, we alert that two heart bid simply to say that that shows at least three hearts because even though the double promises only four plus, we've now got a bid that's made in response to our double that's showing hearts, sort of. I mean, if your partner opened one heart, you wouldn't alert a two heart raise. So you can argue that our two-heart bid there doesn't require to be alerted under a strict rule of review of the alerting rule. It helps the opponents. I mean, occasionally, it's at least three hearts. They'll say, oh, well, why is that? And then you get in and you can point out that the double showed hearts. other hand, the double doesn't show five hearts. It no. It sort of seems reasonable no. that, that a three-heart... Yeah, heart, yeah, part of three, yeah, yeah okay. so... Mm. But, I mean, that's actually useful for us. We can stop the opponents sometimes being confused by the fact that we can't alert our double. You don't want to win that way. No. I mean, I guess maybe there are some players who would like to win no matter how it is, even if it's because they kept their opponents in the dark and didn't right, alert yeah, them when yeah. they should. Mm. That would suit some people. But 90% of bridge players want to follow the rules 
and be as helpful as possible. Yep, that's excellent. Thanks, Patrick. Okay. Okay, catch bye. you later. Catch you, bye. Let's go off to the pond. Phenomena. What's this? It's Kermit's Bridge Tips with Pam Livingston. Good morning, Kermit. What have you got for us today? This week's tip has uh, surprised and delighted some of my students. And the tip is, you are an athlete. Bridge is a mind sport and you are a competitor. What you need to do is work out what works for you to ensure you go right to the finish line performing your best. So whether it's a club session or a tournament, things like have you eaten properly to last you the whole day, eating foods that are slow-release energy and maybe having some snacks throughout the session. Everyone laughs at me about what I carry around in my bag, (laughs) a whole picnic. (laughs) Have you got electrolytes with you? (laughs) <laughs> sort of, I use Barocca. Oh, okay. Um, so also, what do you do between rounds? So a team's match, two boards of match point, or even at lunchtime. What are you doing in that time to ensure you have the mental energy for the rest of the day? And that will vary for different people. You're trying to make it to the finish line. Quite often a tournament is one on one board. Or even if it's not, if your aim isn't to win, but your goal for the day is to reach 50%. We're all competitors and we derive satisfaction from reaching our goal, whatever that may be. So give yourself the best chance of doing that by performing to the best of your ability. So just one quick question before you go. Are you prepared to divulge what you carry around in that bag of yours? Well, you know, if I tell you, Barry, you'll tell everyone, won't you? (laughs) (laughs) What do I have in my bag? I'm only talking food-wise here. I don't want any any gory details. Okay, so the staple that I carry around in my bag is nuts. Not that people don't generally think I need more nuts, but however, biscuits. And fruit, I have Barocca there for the end of the day just to pick me up. Those are my staples. They all sound perfectly legal. Well, you only asked me about... (laughs) (laughs) I only asked you about the legal stuff. (laughs) Well, what do you have in your bag, Barry Jones? I don't have a bag. What are you talking about? So he has nothing. (laughs) He just soldiers on throughout the whole day. Another important one is hydration. Mm. And the best thing for hydration is water cup of coffee for hydration is not the same as drinking a cup of water. There's not many clubs these days that don't have a water cooler or, or, or something like that. That's right. So it's yep. pretty easy to, to do that. I, I'm not very good at drinking water. If I drink water anywhere, it's usually at a bridge tournament, funnily enough, because, you know, you're filling in time. There's a water cooler there. Why wouldn't you ever drink a water? But it's very good for the brain. Thank you, Pam. Catch Kermit next week for another tip. See you. Phenomena. And as promised listeners, we have with us the president of the Tauranga Bridge Club who is coming up to having a fantastic tournament this weekend. Good morning, Kate. Good morning, Mariana. How are you today? Absolutely fantastic. It's the most beautiful day and we're buzzing with excitement as we look forward to the weekend. Can't wait. Is it true, Kate, that you've got the no vacancies sign out at the Tauranga Bridge Club as far as further entries go? Absolutely true, Barry. In fact, we would be in danger of having to put tables in the car park if we had one more person. So we've had to close. It's booked (laughs) out. We've got the provincial pairs booked out, the restricted pairs booked out. 
and the teams, the rim's going to be bursting at the seams. It's what, absolutely awesome. What sort of numbers are we talking, Kate? How many can you fit in there? Well, we've got 38 teams for oh. Sunday, wow. uh, which is massive. And on Monday, we're looking like we may have as many as 42 tables. Yeah. So we're literally using every space and looks like we might be overflowing into the church next door for part of the event. Yeah, well, you could say a little prayer, Mariana, when things get grim. Yes. <laughs> um, wow. So what about the pairs? So how many pairs do you know you've got? There's two events, aren't there? You've got the restricted open pairs and the... It's in, I was gonna yeah, say. so they're both, they're both full. They're both booked up. We're looking at, you know, well over 50 pairs in the provincial pairs and big numbers in the restricted pairs. And I think one thing that's great for us is to see the restricted open pairs. You know, having people coming along for that event, it's the second year we've run it, first year, last year, and so good to have... Some of those people who don't want to play in the, the 15A event coming along in the same room, rubbing shoulders with international players and players from the length and breadth of the country and having a fantastic event. And hopefully you know, some of them will be in the provincial pairs itself in years to come. So we're thrilled to see that expanding on last year. Brilliant. Mm, very good. We've got one little downside here that Kate, Kate and I every year traditionally have a bet on the Australian Tennis Open, which is always run at the time, and of course it's, it's been delayed this year. So I've, I've done a little bit of investigation, Kate, as to what we're going to replace it with. She's gone, oh, that sounds good. Very do tell. Well, we've got a choice between the, the, the events being held are the Icelandic Women's Handball and the World Snooker Championship. I just wonder which one you are more authoritative on. I think the snooker for me, Barry, and I'm sure that I can find something to do with one of the protagonists in the snooker to sing you a song about. Oh, very good. Well, she's usually had to, you know, depending on the nationality of the Australian Tennis Open winner, she's had to you know, produce a, a song, an appropriate song. <laughs> Spanish Eyes for Nadal, and uh, I don't know what that song was she came up with for Djokovic, but it was some Serbian national anthem was it Kate no no it was the Serbian Eurovision song contest entry and my Serbian voice has never been finer I think <laughs> okay well I don't know I'm still thinking maybe the Icelandic woman's handball might be the one to go for that would be a that would be a test for your singing ability yeah I've never been particularly good at Bjork so I'd have to look more widely I think for an Icelandic tune. all you have to do is go shh <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> That's probably true, Mariana. <laughs> okay, Kate, so any, anything else that uh, you can tell us that people can look forward to? You're going to have the coffee cart out? I mean, what are you going to have at, at Tauranga for us? We've got the coffee cart booked. We've got great lunches, lovely morning teas. Lovely raffle can win 100 bucks, a hamper or a bottle of Baileys. So everything to play for. Not too much evening play, so people are able to get out and have a drink or two and whatever else they do at dinner? No, we're looking for a reasonably early finish, and so it does mean that they can enjoy, you know, the magnificence of the the Bay of Plenty and Tauranga, and hopefully start thinking about being back again for National Congress later in the year. True, true. Kate, who is your director for the weekend? Because of the size of the event, mm -hmm. we've got the excellent Carolyn Wiggins as our main director, and she is going to be supported by our very own Norm Silcock. Oh. Very good. And I can vouch for those raffles because I won a raffle last year when I paid a visit one day. Eugene brought me some nice hard cold cash back in an envelope. I was thrilled. So I vouch for that. Get a ticket, everybody. Sounds good. You reckon your luck's going to be in this weekend? Are you sending me some money to spend on the raffle for you? No.
No, I'm not. You can get it out of your own wallet. Well, hey, good luck for this weekend. If I was able to come, I would have. And I'm pleased that you've reached into the waiting list as well. My friends Barb and Lucy have made it to to actually get in through the door. Yeah, it's great. Having a waiting list, you know, it's a real shame we can't have more people. We would if we could. As I said, we're going to be full to bursting and looking forward to a fantastic weekend of Great Bridge. Oh, great situation to be in, having having people on the waiting list, even though, yep. yeah, as you say, it'd be nice to have them all playing, but it's yeah. better that than not having enough. That's right. They are important, those people on waiting lists. <laughs> yes. No, they absolutely are, and we're so fortunate to be able to play face-to-face and have events like this, so absolutely. really looking forward to it. Can't wait. Thank you, Kate. We'll see you on Saturday. Yeah, see you then. Thanks, Have Barry and Mariana. Thank Bye you. Now. Bye. It's Bye. Awesome. Brilliant. And remember to practice up your Icelandic. Well, that was a lot of information on this week's show. I can tell you, too, listeners, that we have received the book. We've got a package in the mail here. It's sitting on the desk. Yes. So What's in there? It's our book that we're giving away for oh. a competition. And Kim Fraser has signed a little, what do you call it? Slogan? Slogan? No, maybe not a slogan. She's got a little message inside there. She does. And you're going to have to wait until you actually win it. So it is coming up. We'll have the last of Kim next week. We've had a little bit too much to talk about, and we'll have the competition details. I just want to share with you from the back of the book that we are giving away these appetizing thoughts. Gaining the Mental Edge at Bridge by Kim Fraser, the inner game of bridge. Bridge players spend countless hours working on bidding conventions and card play techniques, yet give little attention to the mental side of the game. Maintaining focus and concentration, dealing with nerves and other issues are largely ignored. In her book, Kim Fraser, an Olympian, winner of gold medals at three consecutive Commonwealth Games and an Australian international bridge player, has adapted the mental techniques that brought her success in shooting and explains in simple terms how to use these at the bridge table. Just like Kim's sport of target shooting, a loss of concentration in a bridge event can cost you a win. No matter your standard... And irrespective of whether your errors are caused by distractions, nerves or other non-technical factors, this book offers simple, practical techniques to improve your mental approach to the game, allowing you to enjoy your time at the bridge table even more. That's a wee taste of the book that we are putting up for the competition. And how are you going with those emails, people? We need to get a new email. A new email address is what we're looking for. It's got to have something like Bridgestone in there. Any suggestions, welcome. Just text it in, 27 and we'll get it. Because what's actually happened is our Bridge mail email address has, has left the country. <laughs> it has. I had one. What about, listen up. At bridgezoneshow.com. Too long. Too long. God, I'd never remember that. What about info at bridgezone.com? We'll wait for the listeners to come up with something better. Yeah. Not that I'm saying that that one was rubbish. <laughs> or maybe I was. Anyway, take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.
more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.